I also want to say again to everyone in Ian's path, the danger is real to state the obvious. Please obey all warnings and directions from emergency officials. There you go. Joe Biden demands we obey big government again. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Tyranny. I got yeah. the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico, on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's, AM 950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet. on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, wonder how she's doing. Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, And all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us once again for the world-famous Bradcast. Glad to have you here. Uh, New hurricane warnings, new ones, have now been issued along the entire coast of South Carolina as we go to air today before what is, uh, for the moment, I think still tropical storm, Ian, right now. Before Ian has even fully left Florida, as it continues to wreak havoc in the state, they are preparing in South Carolina, Georgia, North Carolina and elsewhere. Forecasters say the storm has now regained hurricane strength over Atlantic waters as it leaves Florida before making yet another landfall in the U.S. as of now predicted to be near Charleston, South Carolina on Friday. We have got a friend standing by in Florida who rode out the storm this week there and is still doing so. And, of course, we'll have more on Ian uh, on Desi Doyen's Green News Report a bit later. But, Desiree, what is the latest of note that we need to know about at this hour? Well, unfortunately, uh, Ian is still a very, very, very dangerous storm. um, And now we have seven People are confirmed dead in the aftermath of Hurricane Ian so far, Mm -hmm. and that was confirmed by Charlotte County officials. That's where Punta Gorda is. That's north of Fort Myers. Um, Crews are going door to door. 
door to door and officials are not sure how many may be unaccounted for at this time, you know, because they don't know who all evacuated. And so they're compiling that data right now. Uh, Ian is bringing massive, massive amounts of rain to parts of Florida. The National Weather Service is issuing flash flood warnings in many areas. Uh, There's getting up to 20 inches, 30 inches of, of rain in some areas. 20 or 30 inches. Yes. Unbelievable. At Kennedy Space Center. At Which, Cape- by the way, let me jump in to say it wasn't supposed to. Uh, well, the earlier predictions was that it would come out of Florida as a tropical storm and then make landfall again as a tropical storm. But the ocean is just too hot for that right now, and that's because of global warming. So, yes, it is expected to re-strengthen, and that means that South Carolina definitely needs to be on alert and everybody else in Ian's path because it has a lot of rain still to drop. So I had started to say that at Cape Canaveral, uh, where the Kennedy Space Center is, mm-hmm. NASA has moved the moon rocket Artemis back into its hangar for safety, and they're conducting damage assessments. They've had to postpone the flight until November now. Um, the only road to Sanibel and Captiva Islands was severed by the storm surge in three places, uh, which is cutting off those communities and will likely take months to repair that bridge. Uh, some areas of Fort Myers are still under three to four feet of water as we go to air, and the city is responding to fires and flooding and life-threatening conditions as they are able. As we go to air, reports are beginning to come in of very widespread damage, including homes completely destroyed and washed away in Fort Myers. And um, the Lee County Sheriff, he was the one that first said that he was afraid that it might be hundreds of people that could be found dead in their homes. And President Biden at FEMA headquarters in Washington, where they're coordinating the multi-state federal response, Mm -hmm. um, he also echoed that and said that this could be the deadliest hurricane in Florida history. The numbers of still are still unclear, but we're hearing early reports of what may be substantial loss of life. And we're going to learn a lot more in the coming hours. But we know many families are hurting. Many, many are hurting today. And our entire country hurts with them. Well, let's hope he is wrong about the loss of life yes. there. Joining us now is someone who... Well, broadcast listeners may be familiar with Nicole Sandler is host of the Nicole Sandler Show, heard live weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time through our streaming affiliate, ProgressiveVoices.com, and of course, live at NicoleSandler.com. But of course, she is clearly uh, the most famous of all for her uh, diligent years of service as our all-too-occasional guest host here on the broadcast. She also happens to be a longtime Floridian who courageously faced down yet another mammoth storm in Hurricane Ian on Wednesday and Thursday as it continues to uh, move northeasterly up and across the state as we go to air this hour. So I thought it might be nice to check in with our friend Nicole today. See how she's doing. Oh, Nicole, welcome back to the broadcast on the other side of the mic, so to speak. Yeah. Well, thank you, Brad. Hi. <sighs> Hi. So uh, first of note, I, I wanted to check in with you just to see how you guys are all doing today. I kind of want to ask you if you're high and dry, but I will just stick to whether you're dry or not, yeah. Nicole. Good idea. Good <laughs> idea. We are dry here because, yeah. believe it or not, for the first time, I am actually in the right place at the right time. <laughs> I'm in the probably safest place in all of Florida mm. for this particular storm, which is the southeast, uh, it's not really a corner, but mm-hmm. the, the southeast tip, mm-hmm. kind of, of the peninsula. Uh, I'm in the, the Fort Lauderdale area. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, we got really lucky. 
And I know, and it's like you say, it's one of the few places I think down there and the uh, Panhandle yeah, yeah. are really the only places that weren't hit by this mammoth storm. I'm, well, yeah, we were. You know, can I tell you? Yeah. It is still, believe it or not, it is still really dark and cloudy and quite breezy outside. Now, in the middle of the night last night, mm-hmm. we're talking, um, you know, Wednesday night into Thursday mm-hmm. when it had already passed. I mean, it's 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 just a slow moving storm, mm-hmm. a slow moving monster that's just sitting there. Yeah. But the outer bands are still strong. The wind was blowing so strong here in the middle of the night last night that it got my dog up and got me up, and you know, he's all freaked out because there's something strange going on in the yeah. atmosphere. I guess they they can feel. So he doesn't like it at all. But uh, relatively speaking, we went, we got through it unscathed. Uh, well, that is good. I, I did notice on Wednesday, since you mentioned your dog, on Wednesday on Twitter, uh, you, you mentioned that your dog Jackson seemed to be working as sort of a great weather gauge for the storm even yeah. before it made landfall. Yeah. Oh, he wouldn't leave my side. He was standing like under my desk by my feet. He would not leave. He, he, they can sense these things. Uh, so, yeah. Good dog. Uh, Florida, of course, Nicole has had its share of horrendous storms. So it's kind of it kind of seems like y'all would be used to these by now. But really, it's such a huge state. And, you know, some places like Tampa haven't had a direct hit in 100 years. So really, I'm sort of guessing everyone has their own experience or lack thereof with this type of storm. Uh, But this one, I think it's fair to say, is shaking out much worse than most. We don't really know at this hour. But how are Floridians doing if there's any uh, if there's a way to answer such a general question? Yeah, I don't think there's any standard way to answer. But I will say this. Up until this week, Uh the, the biggest, baddest hurricane to hit Florida was Hurricane Andrew, which was 30 years ago mm-hmm. last month. And I happened to be here for it. I was actually living out there at the time. I was working on the Mark and Brian show. Mm-hmm. But my father had had an accident. He was actually pushed. And he was in the hospital for almost a year. It left him quadriplegic. So I was flying back here mm-hmm. uh, regularly. I was coming home for long weekends to be with him. And I just happened to have planned to be here that weekend, not knowing there was going to be a storm. And um, my dad had just gotten home from the hospital. We didn't have a van or any any mode of transportation so I could move him. So we were stuck, and that storm was headed straight for us. Mm. I thought, this is it. We're going to die. I'll mm. die here, you know, taking care of my father. Mm. And then it turned left. It looked, took a hard turn left mm-hmm. and went straight for Homestead down in Miami, so, I mean, we still got hit, but, uh, like, similar to this, not as bad as we thought it would be. Well, that's what happened to Tampa. Tampa was was primed for mm-hmm. a direct hit. It would have been the first in a century. And uh, the, the storm turned right and went down and hit at Fort Myers instead, mm-hmm. um, which I think in the, in the big picture is a blessing in disguise because Tampa Bay is a lot more populated mm-hmm. than Fort Myers. And the area north of Fort Myers is much less populated than anything around the Tampa Bay area. So, um, you know, if, if we're looking at, at, at uh, you know, a graph and, mm-hmm. and, and how horrible it could have been, it's still apparently really bad. I mean, the, the images are just frightening. Roads are rivers. Yeah. 
And and I think we yeah I, I think we don't yet know the uh, e- even near the extent of how bad this could be because there was a lot of people you know we think of Florida as those of us who don't live there think of it as you know a state oh they get hit all the time with hurricanes but no, most we actually of the, don't yeah, yeah that's the thing and I think that maybe is one of the reasons why people don't you know watching the news over the past 24 hours we think well why the hell didn't these people evacuate well in one sense. Where to? I mean, it's a huge state, and you know, no matter how far north you ran, you were probably going to get hit by this one. That's right. But I mean, is that one of the reasons why do do Floridians take these storms as seriously as they should? We're always hearing about people trying to ride them out. Yeah, seems like yep. a bad idea. Well, it is a bad idea. But here's the other part: we are a long peninsula, mm-hmm. so from where I am to get out of the state Mm -hmm. is easily a 10-hour drive. And to make matters worse, there's really two roads out Mm -hmm. from, say, the Fort Lauderdale area. You have two choices if you want to go north. You get on uh, the Turnpike, Mm -hmm. the Florida Turnpike, or you get on Mm I-95 from the East Coast. If you're on the West Coast, you go up 75. But regardless, um, it goes bumper to bumper. and. You get stuck in the traffic, and and then you don't know which way it's going to go. So if so, the people there were people in Tampa who thought, all right, we need to get out of here because we're going to get a direct hit, and they drove east and they went to Orlando. Yeah. Well, the storm came in at around Fort Myers and went north northeast, yeah. and today it's sitting on Orlando. So all those people who evacuated from Tampa to Orlando. They're in much worse shape than they would have been if they just stayed home. Yeah. Then there were those people who are in the Fort Myers, Naples area, who thought, well, it's going to hit Tampa. We're, we're better off just staying here. Yeah. And they took a direct hit. So that's the problem. You don't know where it's going to hit exactly. And as they tell you, you know, we see the cone of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And everybody tends to look at the line in the middle thinking, well, that's the track it's going to take. But... The, the meteorologists warn you, do not take that line as gospel. Mm-hmm. You've got to look at the whole cone, and anywhere in that cone, you're in danger of a direct hit, because it does take a last-minute jog to the right yeah. or to the left, yeah. and, you know, like what happened to me 30 years ago and what happened to the people in Naples mm-hmm. now, um, it, it can just turn on a dime and move. Uh, Nicole, I, uh, of course, I know traditionally you have been a huge fan of Florida's Republican Governor Ron DeSantis. <laughs> but I'm wondering uh, how you and uh, the rest of the state today feel that he is doing in handling this storm to date, or is it too early to, to note still? It's never, never too early, early when you're talking about Ron DeSantis, or as I like to call him, more on death sentence. <laughs> no, did you hear the, the word salad that he constructed the yes. other day where uh, it's, a, it's a nasty, nasty storm? Yes. I mean, I, because I guess saying a word once is not enough <laughs> for Ron DeSantis. He's got to say it twice, twice. 
for well, the emphasis on the wrong syllable or something? I don't know. But uh, but he, for some reason, remains very popular in Florida, and I'm wondering if we should sort of expect the old you know rally around the flag support for him. We t- typically see that in disasters like this, where they yeah, rally around yeah. the governor or the president, at least until you know they screw up something terrible. But with that in mind, he's got an election coming up in a few weeks. Is this going to uh, redound to his benefit or uh, against him? Well, I don't know. Mm-hmm. At least he's not, you know, bad-mouthing the president as he takes the money that President yes. Biden has been so freely um, offering. Mm-hmm. In fact, you know, Ron DeSantis is talking about, oh, I'm going to do this, and yes, I'm working with uh, President Biden. And I suppose anyway, he won't go out, out on a limb and say anything nice about him, but at least he's not bad-mouthing him right now, which is a change. But I want to tell you something. You know, Ron DeSantis, before Donald Trump plucked him from the backbench of the Congress, Mm -hmm. where he wallowed in obscurity, Mm -hmm. um, he was a backbencher from the panhandle area of Florida. And he, he entered Congress in 2013, and the first vote that he uh, took mm-hmm. it was it was on i think january 4th like they had just gotten in they had just sworn in this new uh the new session, yeah. the new session and um the vote was on hurricane sandy relief uh-huh. for the new york area uh-huh. and ron DeSantis voted no <laughs> that would be a big n Oh, and in fact, of all the Florida representatives, I'm actually looking at the roll call now, uh-huh. it was Ron DeSantis and Ted Yoho. They were the only Yoho, the only yo-yos in Florida to vote no for that. Wow. So I guess we should keep that in mind. If uh, yep. a funding bill comes up to send money to Florida, uh, if it was Ron DeSantis, he would be against it, apparently, if, as long as it's not his state. Uh, right. It seems like he's, he's more than happy to uh, take a whole lot of help right now from the federal government. Yeah. Uh, and by the well, and another point, I don't know if you saw this story It's a related point. From uh, David Sirota's The Lever today, uh, uh-huh. there is, uh, of course, a huge contingent of uh, of elected Republican lawmakers in Congress who all also happen to be climate crisis deniers from Florida. The uh, Lever highlights seven members of Congress who have been going to war, essentially, with the SEC's plan to ask public companies to disclose the risks uh, about how climate change could adversely affect their businesses uh, to uh, give investors, government officials, the general public much more information and details about the dangers of climate change from those companies. Now, you know, the old transparency thing that Republicans pretend to care about. And as it happens, there are seven U.S. House members from Florida who are all Republicans who collectively received about three quarters of a million dollars from the fossil fuel industry. Also, GOP uh, Senator Rick Scott from Florida has received uh, more than a quarter million. So we're talking about a million dollars at least to all of these guys from the fossil fuel industry. Yeah. They're all slamming the SEC, demanding that uh, this this mandate for climate change reporting be uh, rescinded by the SEC, that they leave publicly traded companies alone, which, you know, it seems smart that the public should know about, you know, if a company is at risk based on uh, climate change. Is there any chance that a storm like this could make any bit of 
indifference or embarrassment for these uh, fossil fuel, you know, climate crisis deniers from Florida. Yeah, I don't know. And and honestly, I really can only take uh, DeSantis in very small doses because uh, he's kind of nauseating on on every front. Mm-hmm. But the guy who w- had his job before him, who's now a U.S. Senator, Rick Scott, mm-hmm. um, had a policy during his administration that they no one was allowed to use the term climate change. Mm-hmm. Here we are in Florida, you know, ground zero, mm-hmm. um, because if we're, we, we are at sea level. You know, somebody on one of the news things said something about when there were um, tornado sightings in Broward County, where I live, and, right. and somebody on the news said, get in the basement. We don't have basements right. in Florida. There is no basement here. Yeah. We live in the basement. There, there's nothing. We're at sea level. Um, so there's no, um, there's mm-hmm. no room there. And, and Rick Scott, they just weren't allowed to say climate change or deal with it on any level. So Which... they're, they're operating in a, in a, I don't know, in a balloon. In a, in a... It's insane. And I wonder, and yeah, because I think uh, DeSantis is, is trying to ban the idea that uh, c- companies should need to disclose any of that information. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they're they're living in this bubble. And I'm wondering, you know, with a storm like this, will this remind voters? Will they either rally behind him or will, will it remind them of how these guys have been denying for all of these years you know, we've been seeing polling of late showing uh, Democratic U.S. Senate candidate Congresswoman Val Demings coming within about four points of incumbent Republican Marco Rubio, who's up for reelection in Florida on November 8. Uh, yep. The odds te- still seem very long to me. Is there a realistic chance that Demings could actually unseat Marco Rubio in Florida in the midterms? Definitely. Marco Rubio does not have a, a big fan base down here because he doesn't show up for work. He, I don't know what he does. He doesn't show up for votes. He doesn't show up for uh, committees that he is on. He always says the wrong thing, and now he's standing with, you know, the Trumpers mm-hmm. on, on denying reality. You know, he, 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 he's against everything. He's for, you know, a, a universal ban on abortion now. This man is just, you know, he just goes any way the wind blows. But that's how they all are. They try to read the polls and set their position based on what the polling is. I think people are finally starting to wise up. And I think uh, DeSantis' stupid stunt with sending the migrants, mm-hmm. actually the asylum seekers, mm-hmm. who were here legally going through the asylum process Actually, in the they, country. Were, they were in Texas legally, they were, but yes. They, asked, they were in Texas legally. Right. They weren't in Florida. And and Ron DeSantis took money, taxpayer dollars, yeah. that we Floridians have paid to, to send these people from Texas to Martha's Vineyard. And I think many of them are finally asking why. Somebody did the math, and it turned out because, you know, he had to charter private planes yeah. to fly them, yeah. that a commercial airline ticket from San Antonio, Texas, to Martha's Vineyard would have been about $325. But because he chartered these planes, it came out to more than $12,000 yeah. for each of these 48 uh, asylum seekers. 
Um, It's wrong on so many levels. And you know what? Now, while he's going to the federal government with hat in hand asking for money to mitigate this massive disaster we have, just think what we could have done with that millions of dollars that he wasted to to do political theater. Not to mention it's potentially illegal, potentially a, a, a criminal act, this political yep. stunt. But of course, you know, you're one of those lefty talk show hosts, so of course you're against them. Uh, you know, nonetheless, Florida continues to elect Republicans statewide, like Rubio, like DeSantis. Are, are, are they upset about this, or are they cheering that down there in Florida? Who knows? I mean, you know I always talk about opposite world, right? This is opposite world. Everything they do, it's if you sort of turn it upside down or look at it in a mirror, you might get some semblance of reality. They're off in in Florida land. I mean, uh, I don't know how their minds work. They don't work. Uh, last question along those lines that you probably don't know the answer to either. 538's polling average between Ron DeSantis, Republican governor, and Charlie Crist, now uh, former Republican governor, now Democratic candidate for governor, uh, has uh, DeSantis over Crist by 5.6 points in their average. Does Crist stand any chance down there this year? And does this storm make a difference or Again, we just had to see how the things play out here over the next few days. I think we have to see how they play out here. If it turns out that there is indeed, as some are saying, a massive loss of life, mm-hmm. um, this could go down to, um, you know, DeSantis not doing a good job. Because um, God knows if it were a Democratic governor who maybe did nothing wrong but the storm changed course at the last minute, and a lot of people got caught in it, um, they would blame him or Mm -hmm. her. Um, You know, I try to think how the Republicans think, but honestly, my mind doesn't twist that way. (laughs) I guess we have to wait and see what happens and how, you know, relief Mm -hmm. is doled out and and how long people have to wait to get their power back to uh, to get help frankly. And the thing is, Joe Biden, the Democratic governor, or Democratic president, is helping this Florida governor. What we've learned, and we've seen uh, newspaper uh, reports in the last couple of days, that when Trump was in office and there was a disaster like this, particularly blue states who had needs had to beg his administration yeah. for crumbs of help. Well, Joe Biden is going above and beyond and saying, whatever you need, we're here. Don't worry. We've got you. You know, we have an insurance crisis down here, too, that you cannot buy homeowners insurance right now. And if you have it, you likely don't don't have the coverage you need. They will not sell it here anymore. So there is a crisis that DeSantis refuses to deal with. Instead, he wants to stop you from being woke for whatever reason. Um, That could work against him, too. This storm, if people will open their eyes and pay attention to what's really happening, could have a major impact and should throw it to Charlie Crist in a big way. But again, this is Florida, and I can't figure out how Republicans' minds work. Neither can I, and I don't even want to try to. But thank you, Nicole. And uh, most importantly, we're glad to hear that you are okay, that you are safe, and uh, avoided at least the worst of the storm. Now we just hope the same is true for uh, so many others across your state. 
Thank Absolutely. you, Nicole. Really appreciate you joining us today. Stay safe. Stay dry out there. Nicole Sandler can be heard every day. Well, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern. Am I right about that, Nicole? You are correct. Uh, five, uh, Monday through five Friday, Eastern. 5 Eastern. NicoleSandler.com is the easiest and best way to find that. Thanks, Nicole. Uh, hope to talk to you soon. Hope you'll be sitting in for us soon. One of these days. We'll see. Thanks, Nicole. Thanks, Brad. Bye-bye. I want to, Desi, I yes. don't know if you saw this. Uh, did you see this piece at the, the I did not see today? the lever, the lever, the uh, lever, lever, the lever, lever, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> no, I did not see it, but I, I have an idea about what it's about. Let, let me uh, just share this with you. Uh, roughly three months before Florida was clobbered by this week's climate-intensified hurricane, eight of the state's Republican lawmakers in Congress pressured federal regulators to halt a proposal requiring businesses to more thoroughly disclose the risks they face from climate change. Those lawmakers, David Sirota notes, have raked in more than a million dollars of campaign cash from oil and gas industry donors. According to data reviewed by the Lever, the proposed rules from the SEC, the Security and Exchange Commission, are designed to give investors, government officials, and the general public more information and details about the dangers of climate change. But even in Florida, one of the most climate-threatened states, he writes, top Republicans are trying to help Fossil fuel industry lobbyists block such disclosure mandates that could better inform communities about climate risks. Those mandates could also help identify which carbon emitting companies are most responsible for the climate crisis. On June 15, this past summer, in the middle of one of the worst climate fueled summers on record, seven Florida House lawmakers signed a letter to the SEC chair demanding that he rescind a proposal that would require large corporations to, quote, disclose extensive climate-related data and additional climate risks. The lawmakers wrote, quote, Congress did not establish the SEC to set climate policy, nor to be the final arbiter of businesses' strategies to combat climate change. It lambasted the agency for, quote, taking a novel activist approach to climate policy. And to be honest, I am not sure how asking companies to disclose their potential risk to climate change is the equivalent of the SEC setting climate policy. And the reason why is because it isn't. It is a perfectly smart and uh, a good idea for the SEC to mandate climate risk disclosure. I mean, it's not just to help communities understand what mm-hmm. the risks are. It's to help investors who are supposed sure. to be fully disclosed on all of the risks that a business or a company faces. And so it's a climate risk disclosure. For example, if you are in the fossil fuel industry, a company that has infrastructure up in Alaska that mm-hmm. is falling into the soil because the permafrost is <laughs> melting. That is an uh, actual damage to infrastructure that could cost millions of dollars to repair. That's just one small thing. Might be might be useful for an investor to know if they were investing in a company that had that sort of that uh, sort of asset at risk. Correct. And not just physical assets, but also in the stock of, say, if you're mm-hmm. investing in a fossil fuel company that perhaps might have stranded assets within the next 10 to 20 years. That's a stranded asset, for example, being a mine that will have to be closed down because it's coal and nobody is buying coal anymore. Mm-hmm. And so if your company that you're invested in invests in that, that is a very poor long term investment for that company to make and they need to disclose that to investors. So, you know, for example, 
an agriculture company, a, a company that relies on grain exports or imports uh, to create its food product. If there are risks of widespread crop failures, that is something that that company needs to disclose, especially mm -hmm. because they do now have the data to say, hey, we are projected to lose this much in yield in this many number of years. So that would be those are material risks that investors need to be uh, need to understand. So, yeah, it's a great rule that the SEC is trying to implement. It is not some kind of activism. It's just basic good accounting. This uh, Sirota notes that just last month, Again, in the middle of this horrible climate crisis summer, uh, DeSantis spearheaded an initiative, Governor DeSantis of Florida, to uh, an initiative to bar his state from considering environmental factors such as climate risks in its investments of billions of billions of dollars of retirement savings of teachers firefighters and other government workers. So they want to invest the hard-earned retirement money from Florida's teachers and first responders and government workers in these risky fossil fuel companies, essentially, or companies that are reliant on fossil fuels or companies that could be at risk because of climate change. They are happy to risk their money on bad bets, and they are willing to put it into law, apparently, an initiative that would bar the state from even considering such factors. You know, these are supposed to be Republicans. They're business-minded. Republicans, uh, supposedly. Making smart business investment. Yeah, well, they're if not. you're making a, an investment, don't you want to know everything about what you are investing in? For the record, the um, these uh, seven House members, uh, Gus Bilirakis, uh, received more than $250,000 from the industry. Vern Buchanan, 175,000. Kat Kamek, 55,000. Byron Donald, 60,000. Neil Dunn, 20, uh, 21,000. Bill Posey, 127,000. And Mike Waltz, uh, about 71,000. They are all House members. They are all running for re-election this year. Rick Scott, the senator who is not running for re-election this year, but he has received more than $236,000 from the fossil fuel industry donors. So, uh, you know, know what you're know what you're betting on here. Know who you're voting for and know what they are betting for uh, betting on and how they're setting up your state potentially for failure. By the way, Ron DeSantis himself running for re-election, he has sucked up more than $800,000 of campaign cash from oil and gas industry donors, according to data compiled by the National Institute on Money in State Politics. All right, let's take a quick break, and we're back with more Bradcast Straight Ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Uh -huh. You can't count on me like one, two, three. I'll be there. Yeah, so now for something completely different. <laughs> Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. This strange post 
2020 world where Republicans who did not give a damn about election security for years blocked every bill in Congress, even weeks, just weeks before the 2020 election, bills that, you know, hoped to harden our completely non-transparent computerized election uh, voting and tabulation systems. But we're now in post-2020 where Republicans suddenly claim to be so worried about computerized voting and tabulation systems that they have unlawfully breached such systems, made copies of the sensitive software in at least four states that we know of, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Nevada, Michigan, and then made themselves, uh, then made copies of that software available for others to download, to examine and to use to figure out, oh, I don't know, how to steal future elections for themselves. This world in which I find myself bizarrely sort of on the side of the voting system companies, <laughs> in as much as I don't think even skeptics should be unlawfully breaching their systems and making the software available to the public when we know how dangerous that is and how much that puts our elections at risk. Of course, all of this is what I have feared for many years coming to pass, but so be it. That's what we have to deal with. A few related news items on this before we get to today's Green News report. An election worker in a western Michigan town has been charged with two felonies after allegedly inserting a flash drive into a computer containing confidential voter registration data during an election in August, according to local officials on Wednesday. Reuters reports that at the August 2 primary, an election worker was seen inserting a USB drive into the computer and the, the computer that was used to administer the election at a precinct in Kent County. That, according to a statement by County Clerk Lisa Lyons, the incident highlights the so-called insider threat that has increasingly worried election officials. Well, good. Take your time, election officials. We've been warning about those insider threats for God knows how many years. Oh, anyway, more than 10, at least. It has uh, increasingly worried election officials, especially in battleground states like Michigan, where falsehoods about systemic fraud in the 2020 election have spread most widely. Lyons said in a statement, This incident is extremely egregious and incredibly alarming. Not only is it a violation of Michigan law, but it is a violation of public trust and of the oath all election workers are required to take. Oh, well, so long as they take an oath, that should keep us safe. No worries. The county's prosecuting attorney said he charged the uh, election worker, James Donald Holkabor, with falsifying election records and using a computer to commit a crime. If convicted, he could face up to nine years in prison. Do not try this at home, kids. Lyons said the incident involved one of the, quote, everyday citizens trained and certified by clerks to work the precincts and absentee county boards and was not an employee of the county or Gaines Township. The election worker was seen by a witness at a precinct in the township inserting a USB drive into an electronic poll book. The computer that's used to sign in voters at the polling place rather than what we used to use, which was a great big paper book that couldn't be hacked somehow at the precinct. You couldn't stick a USB drive into it. Well, I guess you could, but it wouldn't <laughs> do much. do you no good. The uh, electronic poll book contains voter registration data, including confidential information barred from release under Michigan laws. 
Lyons said the breach did not impact the outcome of the August primary. It occurred after the files had already been saved to the precinct's encrypted system. She said the poll book is not connected. The electronic poll book is not connected to any tabulation equipment or to the Internet. Presuming she's correct about that. In fact, I know that many e e-poll books are absolutely connected to the Internet because that's how they work. That's how they know if someone has already voted at another voting center or by mail, etc. I'm not entirely clear about what sort of havoc could be caused by inserting a USB drive into one of these systems. Uh, but I'm asking around to a, a bunch of experts in this stuff. I'll report back anything noteworthy that I can learn. But as Reuters notes, there have been a series of security breaches related to voting equipment in Michigan following the 2020 election with supporters of Donald Trump and his uh, baseless claims about widespread fraud seeking or stealing access to tabulators in various locations in the state. This was not a tabulator. It was an e-poll book. Last month, Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel, a Democrat, appointed a special prosecutor to oversee a criminal investigation that her office had kicked off into the security breaches happening across the state. She was then forced to step back from that probe because, as it turns out, her Republican challenger for AG in November's election, guy by the name of Matt DiPerno, was and is among the nine individuals facing possible charges for those breaches. And in two related-ish stories where the voting machine companies have been pushing back against some of these folks, and I find myself shockingly rooting for those companies who I have challenged for years due to their own lack of transparency and, frankly, lies that they have told for years about their voting systems. A federal judge in Washington, D.C. on Wednesday agreed to dismiss a lawsuit that pro-Trump lawyer Sidney Powell filed against Dominion Voting Systems as the voting machine company pursues their own $1.3 billion defamation claim against Sidney Powell. In a three-page ruling, U.S. District Judge Carl Nichols granted Dominion's request to toss Powell's case after finding that she failed to show that Dominion's own defamation suit against her constituted an abuse of justice. Well, <laughs> sorry, Sydney. So just in case you're having trouble following that, the voting machine company sued Sydney Powell. She sued them back for some reason. The judge looked at her suit and said, you got nothing here. Your suit is tossed. Judge Nichols wrote Powell's complaint fails to link her uh, abusive process claim to any act that Dominion has actually taken other than filing and pursuing its own lawsuit. Judge Nichols, by the way, was appointed to the federal district court in D.C. by former President Trump. The ruling on Wednesday comes after Nichols tossed a similar countersuit by MyPillow and its CEO, Mike Lindell, against Dominion and voting machine supplier Smartmatic. Last year, Nichols also rejected requests by Powell, Lindell, Rudy Giuliani to dismiss the defamation suits against them. So they all remain in big potential trouble to the tune of millions and maybe billions of dollars. Their countersuits are getting dismissed, and the original suits against them 
are being given the thumbs up by judges to continue. That's good. Dominion's lawsuit stems from allegedly defamatory statements the Trump-allied defendants had made about the voting machine company as they helped lead the former president's failed effort to thwart U.S. democracy. (laughs) Thwart, not steal. Thwart U.S. democracy, as The Hill describes it in their attempt to... Uh, describe uh, this the theft of wearing an election. Out, yeah, wearing out their thesaurus on this one. Thwart U.S. democracy by giving Trump a second White House term despite losing the 2020 election. That's a lot of words to say, you know, to stop him from stealing the election. And uh, a different federal judge this week also allowed a Venezuelan businessman's defamation lawsuit to continue against Fox News and host, now former host, Lou Dobbs over statements accusing the man of helping rig the 2020 presidential election. Majed Khalil filed the suit last year alleging statements made on Dobbs's Twitter account and by Sidney Powell on Dobbs's show defamed Khalil by accusing him of executing a, quote, electoral 9-11 and helping to change ballot counts in voting machines. Man, Dobbs, the uh, Fox Corporation, and Fox News had moved to dismiss the case in January, arguing the false statements were protected statements under the First Amendment and were not said with actual malice, which is the standard of proof required for defamation against a public figure. One problem, this guy isn't a public figure. U.S. District Court Judge Louis Lee Stanton, by the way, appointed by Ronald Reagan, for the record, denied the motion, saying Khalil is not a public figure and that his complaint showed enough evidence of false and defamatory statements that it should be allowed to move forward to the discovery phase. Uh, He uh, uh, wrote uh, numerous reports that declared the falsity of the claims against Dominion and Smartmatic and rejected Powell as an accurate source of information, gave defendants, Fox News and Lou Dobbs, reasons to doubt Powell's veracity and the accuracy of her reports. Fox and Dobbs claimed they were just reporting what it was that Powell said, even though there was plenty of evidence showing that Powell was wrong. Khalil's complaint references a December 2020 tweet from Dobbs listing Khalil as one of, quote, four names that people need to get familiar with, accusing him of being a liaison with Lebanon's Hezbollah and the effective COO of an election-rigging scheme using Smartmatic and Dominion voting machines. So now it was Hezbollah (laughs) who was stealing the election for Joe Biden, I guess. Dobbs wrote on Twitter, the 2020 election is a cyber Pearl Harbor. The left wing establishment have aligned their forces to overthrow the U.S. government. (laughs) According to Khalil's complaint, Dobbs had asked Powell on his show later that day after those tweets, quote, you say these four individuals led the effort to rig this election. How did they do it? Powell allegedly responded by saying that Khalil and the others, quote, designed and developed the Smartmatic and Dominion programs and machines that include a controller module that allow people to log in and manipulate the vote even as it is happening. Of course, she was making that stuff up. 
The unfounded claims by Powell and others following the 2020 presidential election have led to a flurry of defamation lawsuits still making their way through the courts. The judge dropped Powell as a defendant in Khalil's suit last month. So Sidney Powell got out of that one. But this week, uh, the other judge allowed it to, well, this judge allowed it to proceed against both Fox News and Dobbs. But as noted, Dominion Voting System's separate $1.3 billion suit against Sidney Powell, that is moving forward against her. Good. Uh, defamation suits by Dominion have also been uh, brought against my pillow CEO, Mike Lindell, former Trump attorney, Rudy Giuliani, and yes, Fox News. Yes, I know it is hard to keep track. I'm having tr uh, trouble myself, frankly, but we're <laughs> doing our best. Accountability is coming, I think. But first, Desi Doyen and the Green News Report are both uh, coming up next <laughs> on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com. We fight for election integrity all year around, like no other media outlet in the nation. But of course, we need your help to help us remain on your public airwaves and completely independent. Please help us continue that fight over your public airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Uh, as we were uh, in the break there, some amazing, I think, uh, news coming over the uh, <laughs> wire. Don't worry, yeah. it's not bad. Uh, I mean, it's not disastrous we'll breaking see. news. We'll <laughs> see. Let's let's go ahead and uh, run with the Green News Report here, and I'll, I'll give you this amazing headline on the other side. This is uh, a major, major storm. This is going to be a nasty, nasty uh, day, two days. So, so this is going to be a rough stretch. Hurricane Ian causes widespread damage and smashes records as it pummels Florida. Senator Joe Manchin's controversial permitting reform bill collapses in the Senate. Plus, European leaders are accusing Russia of sabotage. Massive, mysterious ruptures on Russian natural gas pipelines to Europe. All of those mysteries and disasters straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. This is going to be something that is going to be there for days and weeks and months and unfortunately even years. And unfortunately not unlike Governor Ron DeSantis. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, we have been watching this one coming in for days, and, well, looks like now it has. Yes, Hurricane Ian made landfall on the west coast of Florida on Wednesday as a powerful Category 4 storm, just shy of a Category 5, near Fort Myers, battering the peninsula with catastrophic storm surge, winds, and flooding. According to preliminary data, Ian's storm surge was at least 12 feet. It toppled high water records, particularly in Fort Myers and Naples, at least 
two million Floridians are without power, and that is likely to increase as the storm crawls across Florida. Some areas could remain without electricity for days or longer amid stifling heat and humidity. Floods also impacted several municipal water systems. The National Hurricane Center forecasts the slow-moving storm will bring more torrential rainfall and flooding over the next several days. Parts of Florida could receive as much as 30 inches of rain. States of emergency have already been declared by governors in Georgia, Virginia, and the Carolinas as Ian tracks northward. And the storm may also spawn tornadoes. That's a whole lot of explaining some of those Florida climate change deniers are going to have to come up with. 30 inches of rain? Yep. On top of breaking flood records, Ian also set a new record for rapid intensification so close to landfall. It broke the wind speed record for a storm this late in the calendar year, and it now ranks in the top five most intense hurricanes ever to make landfall in the United States. Rapid intensification, storm intensity, higher storm surge due to rising sea levels— all are linked to man-made global warming. Go figure. At the White House, President Biden pledged long-term federal assistance for the response and recovery. He also noted that the storm is not affecting gasoline production at refineries in the Gulf, with a warning for oil and gas companies. Do not use this as an excuse to raise gasoline prices or gouge the American people. If gas companies try to use this storm to raise prices of the pump, I will ask officials to look into whether price gouging is going on. Recovery will be long and arduous for the state, with losses and damages projected to be in the billions. Florida's property insurance market was already unstable due to heavy losses from storms in previous years. At least 10 insurers in the state went bankrupt in the last year alone. So that'll fall on the taxpayers to have to cover those losses in that case? Most likely. Go figure. In other news, European leaders have accused Russia of sabotage in three massive ruptures that were observed on the two Nord Stream undersea natural gas pipelines in the Baltic Sea. An investigation is underway, but the EU leaders say Russia directly benefits from higher energy prices and economic disruption across Europe. Both pipelines were out of service as a consequence of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The leaks don't impact Europe's energy supplies, but are releasing massive Massive amounts of climate warming methane into the atmosphere. They don't affect Europe's supply because Russia had already shut down those pipelines to Europe? Correct. And Europe has been finding their gas elsewhere in advance of winter. Indeed. Here in the U.S., the Forest Service has launched a criminal investigation into electric utility giant Pacific Gas and Electric and whether its equipment ignited the Mosquito Fire, California's biggest wildfire of 2022 so far. PG&E's decrepit equipment has been found responsible for sparking many deadly fires in the state over the last several years. And finally, in the nation's capital, Coal State Democratic Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia withdrew his very controversial legislation focused on permitting reform to speed up energy projects, both fossil and renewable, around the country. It was part of a side deal that Manchin had made with Senate leadership to secure his vote for the Inflation Reduction Act. The bill had split the Democratic caucus, was seen as a massive gift to the fossil fuel industry, but it was Republicans who ultimately ensured the demise of Manchin's bill, despite the huge boost to fossil fuels. Mm, Republicans. I'm starting to not trust those guys. 
For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. When till that deal around, don't you let that deal around. Thank you very much, Desi Doyan. Yes. Okay, as to that headline that came in uh, just before the Green News Report there from Washington Post. Judge Cannon, that's the uh, judge down overseeing the Donald Trump's lawsuit to basically try to muck up the investigation of the thousands of documents that he stole from the White House and stored at Mar-a-Lago. Judge Cannon overrules special master, says Trump lawyers do not have to clarify their claims on seized Mar-a-Lago documents. In other words, uh, the special master who was chosen by the Trump team, it was their choice, uh, that special master, Raymond Deary, had told Trump's attorneys that they had to clarify which documents, if any, were planted and which ones Donald Trump declassified before leaving the White House, since he's also made that claim elsewhere. Not in court. They don't make it in court. Where you get in trouble if you lie, but the Trump has made the claim everywhere else. Raymond Deary, the special master who's supposed to examine these documents, told them, well, tell me which ones were planted. Tell me which ones are declassified because I need to know that in order to do my job. Now, this tool, Judge Eileen Cannon, who was put in on the bench by Donald Trump, is apparently so corrupt She says, nope, the special master can't do that. Furthermore, she said, uh, the uh, deadline for all of this, she had originally said it for Thanksgiving. The special master said, that's okay. I only need to like mid-October. She said, no, no, Thanksgiving is good. Well, now she has changed that deadline. Now the deadline is December 16. She's Hmm. pushed it even farther down the road, further delaying this further doing Donald Trump's dirty work from behind the bench. Unbelievable. Wow. Uh, Wow, indeed. Uh, Yes, you can impeach federal judges. Just saying. Got to get out. My (laughs) thanks to our guest today, Nicole Sandler of the Nicole Sandler Show. You may have heard of her. Glad she's doing all right. Also, thanks to Desi Doyen, our producer, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, Download it anytime for free at bradblog.com, a service made possible by those of you kind enough to hit the donate button when you stop by bradblog.com or go straight to bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Bradblog. I'll see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Just show you don't really know. I just tried to play